What's happening, people? We're back with another episode of the Hustle. Now, this time it's football, and as you know, we're at the halfway mark of the ste- of the season. A lot's going on uh, across Europe's Europe's top le- top leagues. Um, this weekend, you know, we let's let's start off with the biggest match of the weekend. That you know, I think that's still probably fresh in our minds: the El Clasico. And we watched that game, you know, together, Varun, and it, it. It just seemed like Zidane probably told Real to go all out in that first half. Um, they were playing a very high tempo game, and I think at some point maybe he maybe he assumed that bringing on Bale and Asensio in the second half would give them that injection of pace that would allow them to you know uh, you know to attack Barca at least maybe maybe from the wide out areas. But uh, the talking point of the game, at least to me, seemed tactically was. Mateo Kovacic being uh, assigned as the guy to mark Messi. Now, my personal opinion is that, like, I think they missed out by compromising another attacker by having Kovacic on Messi because here's the thing. Messi is Messi. Even in that first half, he was still creating uh, chances. The second half was a different story, but maybe they took a cue from the Classico in March, sorry, April, where Messi played when Messi dropped extremely deep and he really, really hurt, uh, you know, hurt Madrid centrally at the edge of that box. What are your thoughts on Kovacic's inclusion or role specifically in his game with respect to, you know, his, his being assigned to Messi? So, I think Barcelona exploited in that entire game Madrid's lack of structure in midfield. If you look at when Casemiro vacated his position to, to try pressing Busquets slightly higher up the pitch, uh, Kovacic was basically trying to mark Messi. But at the same time, because of that extra man Rakitic in midfield for Barca, they were able to push through and Kovacic on that first goal especially was caught in two minds of whether or not to take Messi or whether or not to go after Rakitic. So credit has to be given to Barcelona for you know really uh, actually understanding that the counter press wasn't on from madrid and pushing up uh, pushing bodies forward and getting uh, offensive uh, you know having a major threat offensively uh, that being said madrid's one of madrid's mistake was also their flank players and the wide players uh, the wing backs especially were unable to have an influence in the game marcelo made individual errors which really really like you know affected Madrid's play in general. So I think these things at the end of the day cost Zidane. Probably if Zidane went with the offensive lineup and put Isco in, as you said, it may have been a different game to begin with. Like Because as you said, you obviously can't curb Messi to an extent where he's not going to do anything in the game. He's obviously going to create moments on his own, and which is why he's one of the best players in the world right now. So these things need to be altered and it'll be interesting to see how these managers alter these changes in the Champions League. Yeah, I do think? think the game was won, you know, in midfield. Even if you look at that goal, I think Sergio Busquets is probably, I'm going to say it, I think he's one of the most underrated players in the world. I know, you know, he gets a lot of hate because of his whole history with diving. But even if you look at that goal and how Madrid at the second half and at some point they were pressing and they were pressing hard. And that's what resulted in the goal when they were caught trying to press and Busquets easily is able to cut open through that midfield, which allows Rakitic to, you know, just lose his marker really easily and then, you know, slide you know, slide through and literally glide through to midfield and able to, you know, give it to Sergio Roberto out wide. And after that, you know, I think, 
you know, you, you, you can see how it played out from there on. But yeah, um, it's interesting to see the kind of adjustments that both Zidane makes in midfield and how Barca look at this in terms of long term, whether whether Messi fits into that, you know, that kind of role. Maybe, maybe sometimes he drops slightly deeper or even in what we would call in FIFA terms, the cam position, you know, and with, the with Suarez's struggles, I feel that maybe Messi may be able to be the target man, you know, and allow Suarez those runs in behind is probably the best option for Barca going forward. At least until Dembele is, you know, fully fit and gives you more options out wide. Also, another player that really deserves credit in all of this is Paulinho. Because Paulinho, off the ball, has made phenomenal runs in order to help Messi uh, to make those passes and to make those runs as well. So, uh, yes, Dembele will be a fantastic addition for Barca. But going forward, it's going to be interesting in midfield as well because they have a constant uh, battle between Rakitic and Paulinho. And, you know... With Busquets really pretty much nailed on, it'll be interesting to see what sort of lineup they have against Chelsea because Chelsea uh, are definitely going to play those three midfielders with uh, Bakayoko, Kante, and you know probably Drinkwater or maybe even a Fabregas if they would desire a creativity. So it's going to be interesting to see how these midfielders you know match up against the midfielders in Chelsea and how that game's going to look like. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game, no doubt, an intriguing Champions League drop, but. We'll talk about that sometime later. Let's get to one of the most exciting leagues in the world. Let's go, let's go on with the Premier League. And which city far so far ahead? And apparently they're in for Virgil van Dijk in the, in the January transfer window, 60 million deal. Why do you think Guardiola wants to splash the cash on another centre-back? Is it because we clearly know that Vincent Kompany is on his way out. Guardiola has hinted at it. You know, and Guardiola does seem like he's trying to phase him out. And with Otamendi as your other probably fixed starting centre-back, uh, you know, where do you see Virgil van Dijk's specific requirement in terms of what Manchester's, a very well-organised Manchester City team is doing right now in the league? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, it's a tough one. Um, I understand that company may be on the ropes here and like, you know, City... Guardiola may... has major issues with his injuries. I mean, clearly... Yeah, I understand. Just, like, but then the thing with company is that he's been with the club for the longest and, you know, Guardiola needs that natural leader and company demands that respect. So, he may choose to keep company for all you know, but... Like, going to your question of where Van Dijk's going to fit, I don't think he really is a fit. Like, given company will mostly stay at least until summer. Like, he's it's a very... physical un- present. Maybe because you, you look at Manchester City's, if anything, you know, the one thing that they've struggled with probably this season's perhaps corners. They've conceded, um, you know, from a few corners. Maybe that aerial but, presence that John Stones doesn't give you is what he's looking for. No, the reason why they the reason why they uh, conceded on those corners was more uh, because of the strategy employed by teams on those corners. So what City try to do is they try to block five players in front of the goal, uh, and each one has the designated zones in which if the ball comes, they will clear the ball. But what happened in the situations in which they conceded one, which was against Huddersfield, Huddersfield had players in between each and every one of those blockers at the back. And what happened is at the near post, there was a flick and that flick basically went on to hit like Otamendi and it was probably an own goal. So teams are able to, you know, try to uh, utilize this, you know, 
sort of flaw in cities the way that the way they defend corners but yeah coming to your point i guess van dijk will make a fit in the team but i don't know whether he's worth 60 million considering he's not going to be starting each and every game john stones hasn't proven his value yet yes he's been really good in european fixtures but still not enough to warrant 50 million so it's, it's like going to be interesting years. to see the checkbook manager making all of the marquee signing and who knows that <laughs> signing may just win them a championship it's like it's like mourinho so you we, know city can city will pay the price full backs uh with at a, at a price that strikers cost it's just it's crazy but credit to them they've been phenomenal um you know in in terms of their play in the final third their play in, in the second half of games where they've been able to kill teams off you know the minute they drop back a little let in you know that in that that creative incisiveness going forward especially in the final third is definitely what's separated them i think sterling and sane being the standout players of that kind of uh the kind of system obviously not to mention david silva marshling the midfield with kevin de bruyne right in in, in front and city are practically you know at this point they could be 16 points ahead after 15 points they could be sorry 15 points ahead uh, assuming they beat newcastle they had to be beaten this season but let's look at some of the other teams and how the top four battle is shape you know shaping up we'll we'll get to the relegation battle towards the end but uh in terms of how the top four is shaping up now United have gotten, you know, obviously, you and I, as United fans, have probably been the most critical of the last couple of games. That you know, in terms of where it just, you know, like it just seemed like novice errors that, you know, that allowed Leicester back into that game. That you know, and and I think how many chances were those? Rashford, Lingard, Lukaku, all missing easy chances, and uh, with. with respect to the game that they played now i mean the, the the most recent game it was it it was a whole different story it was against burnley it just seemed like they just they were just off the ball for the first 10 minutes for the first half and you know it that lack of concentration is starting to hurt them and with united now they've seen that gap that they had in second place cut down to one point by chelsea and you look at the teams now that are breathing down united's neck and um you look at spurs who you know who who keep finding their way but they will have the odd hiccup that's how it's been for them so far this season harry kane obviously is picking up from where he left off but you look at them compare that to jurgen klopp's attacking liverpool that can play phenomenal football that can play beautiful football that can hit any team for six that can hit you on the counter attack that can press really well but somehow seem to have these major defensive lapses that seem to have an absolute lack of defensive organization and then compare that to arsenal that have shown signs of you know that arsenal style of play where you know where it's been effective enough for them to you know to have that high tempo passing game you know a little similar to barcelona and then compare that to probably their last four weeks where you know i've watched those arsenal games and there has been an absolute lack of imagination in the final third or anywhere in the box from anyone apart from mesut ozil and you look at these three teams what their weaknesses are what their strengths have been so far this season right up till now that is the end of december going into the january transfer window looking at that that top four battle and taking city and united out of this and you're looking at those other two spots um based on what you've seen so far this season 
what do you reckon? Who's best placed to probably push for that top four spot? Who needs to make the most reinforcements in January? I'm sure Arsenal is that, but you know, what kind of reinforcements then? Well, if you were look what to look at, who's best positioned? Uh, I'd say like right now, United and Chelsea are relatively safe. Uh, followed by Liverpool. But as you said, um, I think it's going to be very close. That fourth spot is going to be extremely close between Spurs and Arsenal. But I have a feeling that Spurs are going to run Liverpool closer than Arsenal do. So, yeah, as you said, Arsenal are definitely the ones who need to make the most reinforcements or get the most reinforcements uh, in the market. And to be specific... What specifically is it? I mean, we talk a lot about Arsenal, the lack of imagination. I feel like it's a midfield problem where they they just have a lack of that midfield enforcer that carefully marshals the ball from the halfway line to at least the well, you know the is... edge of the box they just seem sloppy at times they seem um unsure of you know which way they're going to go and that that takes a leader that takes someone who can you know who can keep the ball who can win the ball in midfield i just don't think zaka is enough but where do you think arsenal's key problems lie the key problems mainly lie in the shape that they use while going on the counter. Because if you look at it, defensively, they're left with only two men at the back. Uh, the wingbacks pushing extremely high up. Xhaka pushing like, relatively higher. And uh, Ramsey is literally like an attacking midfielder. So at certain points of time, it looks like the Arsenal midfield is very open. So I think the only way they can really... Um, you know, solve this problem is to get a quality central defensive midfielder. And this is something that Wenger should have done seasons ago because, like, you know when, when Arsenal have a good uh, CDM or a CM like Santiago Cazola, like, they have and they are able to assert their dominance over teams and they're able to control them. Right, right now, you, you right now you can see... depend on a midfield system that requires Mesut Ozil to not just... Exactly. Not just do the, not just give in those those incisive through passes, but also hold up the ball. You know, move the ball, move the ball around a lot, move around. You know, marshal that midfield. Ozil isn't that kind of the guy, that kind of guy, and that's the closest they've got right now. And I think for Arsenal, they have to respond quickly. So whatever happens, the moment the window opens, they really need to try finding that uh, like you know player and sign him immediately. Sure. Because given that Ozil and Sanchez are like you know, you never know what may what may happen with their contracts and where they go to, like next season or even this season for that matter. It becomes very important for Arsene Wenger to make this move quickly in the market for their, to tell to show a sign to his players that yes, I'm in hundred uh, percent to win the Premier League and win whatever trophies that we have like we're remaining in. So th- this has to be a statement of intent from Wenger. If if there isn't, Arsenal are in really deep trouble because if you look at how well uh, Chelsea and Liverpool are set up, Chelsea and Liverpool just probably need a player each in like you know maybe like Chelsea need a left back uh, to like you know rotate to the Lonzo and Liverpool probably need like you know a good centre back or maybe even a uh, like you know Liverpool a clearly do I mean like no, give it a cl- you talk about you talk about how Liverpool is well organised I mean their front three they're just all at this point of time they're in good form alright Firmino's in good form and Salah's in the form of his life Salah's pace um has just meant that you know he fits in so well with Klopp's system similar to how you know, Klopp used his wide men when he was at, at Borussia, Dort- Borussia Dortmund itself. And with Coutinho now perhaps set to leave in January, I mean, going forward, they're brilliant. I mean, if this was going to be an end-to-end game, 
at better than Liverpool. I mean, end-to-end games, Liverpool probably have, um, you know, in terms of the attacking incisiveness and in terms of the number of re- options that they have both out wide and even centrally in terms of how their midfielders push forward to assist their wide men and, you know, create that kind of link. I think going forward, Klopp's great. But defensively, they have far too many breakdowns. It's either on set pieces. It's either due to a lack of pace from their centre-backs. It's due to maybe a, a, a breakdown in communication between either your full-back or your centre-back or between your central midfielder and your centre-back. But they're having far too many of these defensive lapses. And yes, agreed, Klopp's high-tempo system makes him vulnerable to these kind of counter-attacks. But clearly, Liverpool have a weakness. All right? I'm, that, that's not to say they're absolutely brilliant going forward or that, you know, they aren't capable of pushing for that top top four spot. But clearly that weakness is there. If you had to address that in the transfer market, what players specifically, whether it's a centre-back or full-back or that underlying midfielder who basically does what Jordan Henderson does but better, what do you think Liverpool need to address? What is the kind of player that you would go out and get for Liverpool in Jan. I know they're getting Naby Nabikita in the summer, but in terms of right now? In terms of right now, my first priority, if I were Klopp, would to be get, getting a centre-back. And I, if not for Who's City, right if now? not for City, like I, I think Liverpool should really be in the market for Virgil van Dijk. No, just, like, it, I, I just mean, think they're not going to. I mean, it, it, it's an inflated no, so, cost, so, clearly, right now. It may be an inflated cost, but look at how it uh, helps this Liverpool team. If this Liverpool team moves to a three at the back... Maybe it's going to create a system in which, you know, they can who push... Plays? Who Who are you at this? I mean, I, so, I don't so think Klopp particularly wants to depend on James Milner being his wing so no, I don't think so. Uh, so, he'd probably play something like uh, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Lovren, Matip at the, at the back. Uh, your full-backs should probably be Klein, and on the left, you could have Gomez or, or so you have compensate Roberts. for the lack of pace. Co- exactly, compensate for the lack of pace and, you know... Pr- Put, put the likes of Salah and Firmino higher up the pitch so, you know, they're able to influence these games even more. And like with Coutinho and of, that, I agree with you there, but it leaves a lot of space there in midfield where Jordan Henderson's not in Golo Kante. So, you can't afford that. Maybe not, but that's where Liverpool have to work on. Like, like, see, for right now, I don't think they're going to definitely get a really good centre midfield player. Considering that they're getting Naby Keita at the end of the season, they should probably just like get a centre-back to you know create a solid defensive unit. And when Naby Keita joins next season, they can really, really push for you know the big competitions because uh, Naby Keita has made the most number of interceptions in the uh, final in the opposition third this throughout Europe's entire five leagues. So that's something impressive and that's something that, you know, suits this Liverpool sort of play. So they're going to be even more deadly with the likes of, you know, Keita in that team with that front four if they do manage to retain them. But right now the problem has to be, and the one that has to be solved, is definitely in defence. Yeah, probably. And you you know, you matched up, up up against Spurs led by Harry Kane and Spurs have goals in them. Spurs have... Spurs also have clean sheets in them. It's just that now they have that phase where, you know, because of like losing Alderweireld and they're, I, like, I just they're running clean and squad. It's a consistency problem with, you know, with, with, with the Spurs because they have shown signs of being, I think, the closest, at least to Man City in terms of being the, 
a, a complete team, you know, a complete football team in terms of the way they play. I know they've had the, the, their struggles at Wembley. There are times where Harry Kane has been, um, not due to his lack of pace, but just been isolated. Times at which um, Christian Eriksen is, you know, is is well marked by a holding midfielder out wide. You have physically imposing um, fullbacks to mark the likes of Hyungmin Son who relies a lot on his on, you know in, in trying to get some sort of space to dribble into and then pull off in, in, you know and then in, and then get those passes in um to the box but spurs have been great but obviously there, there's a certain consistency issue there looking ahead to january would you would you look at another signing if you, you know if you're pochettino because you clearly want to build on this um i think a little more depth perhaps in their squad is something that that maybe spurs would probably benefit from what do you think for spurs i think they're mostly set like uh, each and every position they have sufficient depth with the likes of Lallana. why do you think they're suffering the consistency issues then it's it's more of a, a, a case where no no see the games in which spurs really uh, you know aren't able to impose themselves are the games in which they start off very slow they start off in a very sluggish fashion with lacking that intensity like you know the the spurs level intensity from the start and you know these games are the ones that are really really costing them uh, in the long run because uh, even though they can go out on a day and score five goals uh, they really need to start like that in each and every game for them to be able to maintain that run and over the last few games they've had certain questionable lapses of defense uh, you know these things happen in football but i feel like they they will be able to bounce back they have a very good defensive shape uh, if if they were to sell danny rose they should probably get someone at left back they probably be in, in they the have market. been they have been vulnerable i you know in terms of both their full backs i think oriol is is finally starting to find his you know understand his role in pochettino's system but full backs wise probably they have um struggled a bit you know sometimes they have struggled a bit the, the position i would be most concerned if i were pochettino would probably be on the left wing because if son gets injured they really don't have a backup and they would they would be be forced to play uh, you know a very different system which would not really suit kane because you know we all know that kane is the best and the most effective when he has deli ali in the hole behind him so this is something that pochettino can think over but it, it most likely he's already in a position where he doesn't have to make too many transfers so i wouldn't be surprised to see any significantly massive additions maybe like you know a role player or a squad player uh, if like you know the likes of rose or someone leaves uh, but it's very unlikely you can, can you can never predict it, uh, you know these january transfer markets yeah probably and one final thought on the struggling teams this season swansea are rooted to the bottom table managerless um you know at the moment uh, I thought Paul Clement should have been given time. I know so should you. Uh, Paul Clement, you know, was had definitely shown signs of implementing a particular a, a specific system, you know, in uh, in Swansea where they were good on the counter attack. They knew how to defend. They had this defensive shape. All of that, you know, se- seems to have kind of been undone. You know, uh, we saw the complete opposite in their, you know, in their final dismantling. Uh, you know, where they lost out heavily. to liverpool where they were just so vulnerable to any ball that you know that was delivered into the box whether it was firmino's goal whether it was their inability to deal with the ball that fell to alexander arnold and you know 
um, th- those kind of things. I think I do think Swansea are struggling. Um, we thought Crystal Palace would struggle, and they've they they've found a way, if not to score goals and necessarily win games, they found ways to defend better under Roy Hodgson at least, and you got to give him credit for that. But you know, obviously, it's hard to call the relegation battle. There's nine, ten points that separate you know, the bottom six or seven. And looking at Swansea, at least, at the bottom of the table, who look to be in the most trouble, what's the kind of manager that you would look at now to bail them out of this one? Tony Pulis has now gone to Boro, so I, I thought he would have been the ideal man, you know, with his experience to guide them out of this situation, a team that knows how to defend, a team that's good with set pieces, that kind of thing. But, you know... um. Who do you think Swansea need to bring in? Swansea are in an extremely precarious position right now. They they are far from safe safety and they really need to do something special over the next few games to really stand a chance. Uh, you know, if they really want to be part of this relegation battle and like you know definitely not get relegated very soon. So, uh, if if I was Swansea, I'd probably be looking at the likes of Louis Van Gaal or you know Ronald Koeman, who could probably do a good job. I'm not entirely sure if they are like well equipped enough to be able to deal with a relegation team and a relegation battle, because you know they're managers who uh, like like precision in their play and they like uh, they give detail to f- they give attention to the minor details. So I'm not even sure if these two managers will take it. But right now it seems likely that they could possibly do it, or maybe even Leon Br- Leon Britton could probably stay. But it's very unlikely given the final mauling at Liverpool, right? So. Let's move on to West Brom. To, uh, under West Brom are in a position right now that they haven't won a competitive English game for 18 uh, matches. They and haven't won an away game in even longer. The have, away form is absolutely horrendous. Exactly. So the questions now are going to be asked of, you know, uh, Alan Pardew. Do you think he's going to be able to, you know, dig West Brom out He'll of this? He'll have to. I mean, he's going to be... I'm pretty sure he's going to be afforded the time and he's not been in the job long. But yeah, West Brom do have similar um, struggles. It's, it's not like last season, where last season they were a defensive rock. I know you and I and a lot of other people are scrambling to get West Brom defenders in our FPL team, you know, because we could count on them for clean sheets. They were they, they were a Tony Pulis team, you know, to put it that way. And there was a certain, at least you know there's a certain system, there was a certain identity to that West Brom team that, you know, that, that just doesn't seem to be there this season. I think going forward... The few chances that they've created, they just haven't, they just didn't have it done enough. Salomon Rondon needs to do better, especially in his role as the as the single striker. You know, maybe maybe have a striker that was that kind of gave you what Romelu Lukaku gave them at his time at uh, uh, at West Brom because they need that presence in their central striker because they don't have a lot of options otherwise. Uh, going forward and also partly I think it may be down to their midfield being slightly weak I I get that Claudio Jakob like you know does a a solid job in terms of you know covering the distance uh, and you know trying to contain the opposition but at certain points he's very capable and prone to defensive errors and this may be their undoing in the long term you know who knows like they started well with the clean sheets and you know they're they're able to grind out the draws but now they really need to make those draws into three points and it'd be very vital for them going forward um the interesting one actually 
Uh, what do you think about Bournemouth? Because they seem like a side who have real quality with the likes of Stanislas, or Defoe, King. But, you know, at some point, they haven't been able to, like, really uh, build a platform of games and win uh, in streaks for them to be able to climb. How do you think Eddie Howe is going to try to dig himself out of this situation? Yeah, I'm not sure it's much of a situation. I do think they'll finish as, as a mid-table team. But credit to Eddie Howe, um, you know, he makes very good views of both his fullbacks, you know, and uh, and his wide players. Eddie Howe knows how to defend. I think that their defensive home record this season, um, you know, up until the last one was absolutely brilliant. You know, you, you, know, you can count on those defenders. Uh, Begovic has done a decent job uh, in, goal, in goal as well. I don't think there's too many issues there, more with... Um, an issue of a lack of perhaps a lack of creativity. I don't know if this is down to a lack of resources, but you it, it does seem at, at times that uh, you know uh, uh, that Bournemouth going forward are a little clueless. Bournemouth at uh, going forward just cannot rely on the likes of Jermaine Defoe, who's now injured. I think they'd be in the market. I don't think they're going to be able to depend on Benny Kafobe because it doesn't seem like they have a finisher, a, a world-class finisher, right? Or not a world-class, but a good finisher, at least, in, in their side. And I think but Eddie Howe, for all his defensive organizations, look, you're going to, you know, you're not going to be able to keep a clean shot. You're not going to be able to prevent goals in every single game. And I do think going forward, um, that's that's kind of what's letting them down in, in the window. And I, if I were Bournemouth or if I was Eddie Howe, and I trust Eddie Howe, Especially with the way that you know that that he proved that uh, that you know there is a certain style with which Bournemouth can uh, play effectively and you know grind out the results like they did last season and try and convert you know draws into wins, steal games sometimes. Eddie Howe has that kind of ability. Uh, if I were him going into the crunch time, you know, or the second half of the season, I'd definitely be in for maybe a forward in the market, especially with Defoe's injury. Yeah, I'd probably say a forward and a midfielder. Uh, I think Harry Arthur, Dan Gosling, Andrew Sermon have done relatively good jobs, but you know they still lack that like you no know, final bit of quality that can really help them kill off these you know opposition that they keep conceding against. Uh, you know, in these extremely topsy turvy games. Yeah, I think that's always been a problem with Bournemouth. You know, they've that's always true. been I think with, with involved these in these bottom, big games. Yeah, that's true. With these bottom teams, I think. The gap is so finite right now. It's very easy to pick out what these teams can do better, you know, in the market. Um, like considering that the like gap is, you know, so narrow, obviously, we, you know, we need to give them time. We thought Crystal Palace would struggle. Everton had a horrendous start, but they need to, they've, they've found their feet, especially defensively, under Allardyce, conceded only two in the six games that Allardyce is in charge. They're yet to lose. Southampton are struggling a little bit. You know, Pellegrino will definitely be under a lot of pressure maybe I think I think we maybe owe them the benefit of the time take up maybe the relegation battle again in at the end of Jan see how these teams uh, improve with their limited budgets with their limited resources and we probably take it from there either way uh, entering the second half of the season one thing's for sure the EPL is shaping up to be a really really exciting season even if first position is in the clear with you know possibly 15 points at the end of this at the end of this weekend anyways it was a pleasure hosting this one with you Varun always a pleasure this was football that we had on this episode next up we'll have 
an episode maybe with Fantasy Premier League where we update you on how our teams are doing, maybe with a few tips and tricks, and follow up with the world of football. Meanwhile, this is the Hustler.